Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast, the Yamcast, where we talk about everything the church needs to know, and some things you don't need to know about failing forward in young adult ministry. We are starting these monthly podcasts with a discussion about the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, and anything else we feel like. Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm from Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm from, I'm Chris from Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we go. Why so, are we doing this? No, we're not doing that next, are we? That, Why are just, we here? Young Adult Ministry Podcast. We're picking up the conversation um, a little bit. In just a little bit on chapter four of Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, the book yeah. Sustainable Young Adult Ministry. Um, but let's just start with introductions again. I'm Kenny in Boise, Idaho, volunteer young adult director at my church. I'm Jeremy Height. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm the college and community engagement pastor at Trevecca Community Church. Hey, I'm Chris Dean, Cincinnati, Ohio. I do campus ministry at the University of Cincinnati through a nonprofit coffee house and also the coordinator for campus mission, which is doing outreach to college students, um, kind of outreach in USA, Canada under the NY umbrella, trying to network with folks who are doing the college ministry. NYI being Nazarene Youth International for those Thank of us you. that are joining us. Thank you. Academically. Yes, just translating our acronyms for everyone. It's important. Yeah, I had to teach my daughter what that meant. And she even went to NYC, but she still didn't remember. She saw my NY logo on a shirt mm. I was wearing. Yeah. I was like, what? what is that? It looks like you are you work at a trade school or something. What's that logo? <laughs> I received your confession, Chris. You're absolved. So. Didn't need that, but... Um, one of the questions we always kind of start with is, is why we're doing this. Like, why, why are we talking about young adult ministry? Um, why is that important to us? Why are we, why are we passionate about that? Um, I'm, I'm a local volunteer and I'm always trying to learn from our young adults, uh, 18 to 30 ish about what's going on in life and their lives and, and, um, what, um, church community looks like and Corona hit. And then that all changed. And, and now, um, just kind of check in with them one by one, but I think this is an important conversation for the church. Anybody else want to add more detail of why this is important to you? Before we jump in. Um, yeah, I would just kind of echo that as someone who's been investing in, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and, you know, for the first season of ministry and now college students for the last 10 years of my life. Um, in ministry, yeah, just helping sort of catalyze ministry and help the church figure out um, ways to be more strategic and intentional with uh, connecting with young adults. Chair, you want to add anything, man? Yeah, I think for me, um, part of the, the benefit of these um, having these conversations and uh, discussions is that as we... Um, that is, we're trying to figure out what young adult ministry looks like um, on any day, being able to to share uh, what we're learning together. But especially right now, when we're in a very unique time, that um, probably in uh, that in the coming months and years will will change how how all life is done and ministry in general. That we're uh, figuring this out together. And um, one of the things that I've seen time and time again is that for um, our churches um, and for our faith communities that it's the it's the the young adults the emerging generations that are helping lead us into uh, what church, reimagining what church looks like right now I, I heard a pastor on a uh, another not nearly as cool podcast as ours uh, talking about how um, he was he had as they were creating um, uh, content to use for um, Bible studies and um, videos for service and all the stuff that they were bringing in people who he said, I've never seen these young adults so excited, but it's because like they know that they like are needed and are showing up because what they're doing is important to the mission of the church. Um, and so being able to 
to discuss those things and and as we're figuring out in real life right now um, throughout the week um, to be able to have these conversations to 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 be able to brainstorm together and be able to bring in other voices to learn together. Cool. Yeah, uh, I think one of the learning curves we're all on is with the with the video conferencing. Um, I had some Zoom calls this week, some with our, our local youth group, some with young adults, um, just with a bunch of different things that I'm involved with. Um, I'm also finding that that uh, it's it's there's more than one video conferencing platform out there that people are using. And so Zoom gets a lot of press time. Uh, somebody recommended Cisco's WebEx, and I've seen some news channels that use that with some of their live interviews. Um, what was the other one? There was another one. I think I wrote it down here. GoToMeeting? Sure. GoToMeeting. Go to, yeah, GoToMeeting. Are you guys using those at all? Just because I had someone who has an account through their business, through their work. Um, so we were able to use theirs for a virtual coffee house gathering, which was cool. What did that look like? Okay. I felt like it was almost the exact duplicate of Zoom, uh, mm. although I think it was before Zoom. Um, but I didn't notice a lot of differences. Um, the chat feature was a little bit different. I noticed as we were making jokes behind the scenes, which is always fun. <laughs> what did the Sorry, virtual I, co- a- I was going to ask, what did that virtual coffee house, like what did, what was it, what did it consist of? What did it look like? So basically just, there were about 15 people logged on who were regulars at this coffee shop here in my little suburban community of Cincinnati, Milford. Um, and so they do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. virtual coffee shop hangout just for the regulars who want to meet together and, and chat. Um, and they were all supposed to brew some Numa coffee. So uh, so sometimes I, I pop in on them just to say thanks for supporting the Numa. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, Sorry, I, I know. Kind of a hard left, our left left turn there. Like we were talking about young adults and all of a sudden I was like, video conferencing. It's because it's Corona Culture Corner here. And this yeah. is, these are the ways we're connecting with young adults and the ways we're connecting in community and ministry and everything. And so th- these are important tools for that. So what were you going to say, Jeremy? I was, no, I was just yeah, going to continue that um, for our church. We, um, we got a, a Zoom account uh, for all of our Sunday school classes and small groups. And so that's what we've been using for um, those groups. And then for the college age Bible study um, that we have on Thursday nights, um, continuing to use um, zoom for that. I've, I know that with other different groups, like, um, a, a book group that I'm in reading through, um, a fiction series by CS Lewis, um, like a science fiction one, um, we're using, um, Google Hangouts, um, which I didn't know was still around. Um, unfortunately it doesn't have uh, the, earlier iterations had where you could put like hats and mask like virtually on and none of that circles on and everything. Yeah. So it's I don't much like more Google Hangout as much as I, as I used to. It's yeah. It's, it's much more either. professional. Yeah. So, um, I think it's more glitchy for sure. We've used, we've just used zoom, um, almost entirely. And even with, we've been trying to use Microsoft teams for our staff meetings, um, because of, um, we use the Microsoft platform for everything else. And I think just maybe a higher level of encryption and security than some of the stuff that zoom's been, uh, called out for recently. But, um, with, with Microsoft teams, you can only see like up to four people. They're supposed to be updating it by the end of April to where you can see nine people. Um, but like, I don't, I've got you guys on gallery view. Um, and we could add 25 people and I could still see at least little bits of you, um, smaller versions. And with Microsoft Teams, that wasn't the case. So we'd be having staff meetings and like I could only see a portion of our of our staff. Um, it was only like the four most recent people that have talked. And so if you hadn't talked in a little bit, you couldn't see anything. So I think Zoom's kind of become our, our go-to and we've all learned the the ins and outs um, of it. So it it works well for even with some of the hangups and security issues. We've uh, tried to use some, be wise in where we share our information um, so that, um, and using um, uh, waiting rooms 
so that we can, yeah. if we're doing something for the church, like we did good Friday services multiple times. And so we had one person who just monitored people to come in and was ready to, to mute or remove anybody. If we had any, um, unexpected content or guests. Mm-hmm. Zoom terrorists. Yeah, that's right. Well, the zoom bombing, right? Like there's this whole, yeah. there's this whole new protocol and procedure we're having to, to develop. Um, the, the, you know, the waiting room and then admitting people, making sure you know them, um, having a, you know, the, 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 there's a number, is it a security number? It's like a meeting number maybe, but sometimes yeah, like people have to have a password. Yeah. Yeah. Meeting ID. And then there, you can put a password layer on there. And so these are different ways that you protect those. But I was curious, have you guys had anybody like crash one of your zoom meetings or something like that? Have you had any zoom bombing firsthand experience? Cause I haven't yet, but I've, as soon as I heard about it, I started using the, the different procedures to prevent it. Uh, no, I had some guy, John, John Krasinski tried to get into one of my Zooms and <laughs> I, uh, I, I kept him out. It didn't sound like a real... He just wanted to bring you some good news. Yeah, yeah, that was what he said, but I didn't believe him. So, wow. Okay. Um, did that really? Did that really happen? Did that really happen? I wanted to have really happen. No. Um, oh, dang it! But what about epic fails? Any good Zoom fails you guys have seen? I've heard some of the stories of the one lady going to the bathroom with Zoom, or people getting up and walking around without their pants on because they <laughs> forgot that they were in a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And. Or uh, I have a friend here in Cincinnati. He actually, he changed his name so that it was kind of like double entendre innuendo, kind of like a funny, inappropriate name that he put on there. And then he let his daughter use his computer to do something for school. And it showed that to all of her classmates and her teacher. And uh, that was kind of an epic dad fail, I think. Um, It was very, very inappropriate. Um, Dude, for the ones who could figure out what it meant, but hopefully, <laughs> I'm not going to discuss the details. But. <laughs> I haven't you had know, anything that I was going to say. Just sometimes not being able to mute stuff quick enough um, with with two young kids, with a three year old yeah. and a nine month old. Um, I was for our Good Friday services. I was in charge of uh, screen sharing, so if we we shared some videos and some images to kind of go along with our uh, what our senior pastor was sharing about. And there was one time where I shared a video and I accidentally unmuted myself. Um, and one of the other pastors texted me and said, Hey, we can, we can hear your daughter. Um, and she wasn't like, she was just kind of like cooing, um, in the background, but luckily the video had somebody outside. Yeah. And you could, there was already kids in the background. And so most people wouldn't have known, but, the, for those of us pastors who had watched the video 15 times. <laughs> so luckily I, uh, it was caught before like my son, like came yelling out running, like running something cute that a three-year-old would say that would kind of ruin the mood of a good Friday service. Yeah. That's not okay. Bad. So politeness on zoom and, and video calls, like what are the standard procedures that we should all be adopting now? Um, because I'm finding myself in meetings with people that are leading meetings or, or people that should know better. And I'm probably, I'm one of them hypocrite. Um, and they don't do it. Like when you're not talking, you eat your, and then when you are talking, you should unmute your mic, you know, those types of things. What, what other ones are there? That's, I think that's the big one. And the nice little th- feature that you, that they have on zoom is if you've muted yourself, you can just press the space bar. Um, and it allows you, so I'm holding my space bar down right now and it's telling me that I'm temporarily unmuted. So I use that for my staff meetings where I may only need to sh- share a few things. So if I got the kids running around, I can unclick it real quick if they come running into the room or something. Um, but yeah, I've noticed in our staff meetings, you can tell who's over the age of 40 and who's under the age of 40 based hey, off hey, of easy. if their mic is muted. Easy. Easy. Okay, I mean, what if you're if you're using an iPad Pro as your laptop, the spacebar does not work in my experience. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. I don't have the the fancy technology. Over forty. Thank you. That is a wonderful little Zoom hack, Jeremy. Thank you for that. There you go. I'm, yeah. I'm using the spacebar right now. <laughs> oh no, hands. Unmute. Good job, Chris. 
you are amazing. For those of you watching us on Facebook Live right now, this is the wonderful content you were hoping for when you showed up to to this Yamcast. Don't worry, we bring it for real. We bring it for real. Okay, that sounds like those of you should. And for those of you listening to this after the fact uh, on the podcast uh, through just audio, this is not going to make much sense at all. You're welcome. Let's just tell them now that they're welcome. Yeah. As we continue on in Culture Corner, we actually have a little article here about Gen Zers leading the way post-corona, what people thought would take 10 years um, for Gen Zers to make an impact on the uh, world and workforce may happen in a much shorter timeline because of corona. Um, one of those things has to do with working for purpose over the amount of your paycheck. And the other one has to do with uh, flexibility on w- not just working in your office or work environment, but working from home or remotely. Would either one of you like to comment, add, and offer depth of insight? Yeah, I, we. this comes from our, our friends at Burlap who are, as of yet, not sponsors, not uh, sponsors for this podcast. But could but, be. But could, could be, be yeah, exactly. Um, Chris Foldsby, which, if you're listening. Um, which they ha- um, pulled from nj.com. We have an application um, process for sponsors, just to say, you know, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I felt that was important. Sure. No, no, you're good. Um, I was just going to throw in where we where we got that from um, for, our, for our culture corner uh, for this episode is from our friends over at Burlap. Um, and I think this is like, yeah, as we, um, the life that we've kind of been pushed into in terms of, leading most of stuff on, on tech and remotely, um, which are things that are kind of been attributes of, of young adults. We're all kind of forced into it, um, right now. And so it'll be interesting. Um, you know, they talk about in this article about shifting more work from the office to home and we've all, um, to some degree had our lives shifted online, um, and into our homes. It'll be interesting to see in the months to come, how much of that sticks, and for those who are part of Gen Z and the emerging adults, um, if they if just this becomes normal, like instead of having to push this transition ten to fifteen for over ten to fifteen years, if it just continues to where you just always do your work from a remote location. But as a Gen Xer, I feel like I've been working. Um, decentralized in the different roles that I've been in in ministry and missions and stuff for the last few years. My, my latest uh, occupational role, um, I had some flexibility with that, but there was still kind of an office culture and expectation of, of being there. Um, but you could work offsite if, if you wanted to. And then as we moved into Corona, that just that became the standard. But people didn't want to. They fell in this Gen Z and, and millennial for the most part, there was a couple other Gen Xers that that, that I worked with um, at, at Because International, um, but uh, mostly everybody wanted to be in the office together. Like they wanted to be around people, which was really really cool. But I had found this independence in in working from home or from a coffee shop, and and just like I said, those different roles I'd been in, and so I felt this like reverse pressure to like, man, I have to go to the office, like. I really don't want to go because I'm expected to go, but I really missed being in an office in a team environment, you know? And so I, tr- I tried to really embrace that. But then when we shifted with Corona, I was one of the first people, I, I think I was the first person that chose of like, I'm staying home because I feel like it's the safest thing to do. But it was also, that was just, it was old wagon ruts for me. Like I knew how to pop into that and, and go for it. Um, so there's, there's parts of that that I've I've really been I've really enjoyed, but I would like to be around people more. Um, like I'd like to go visit with people or go have a meeting or you know like we can we can do it this way. I was and I've been an advocate for well over ten years. I might even say fifteen years, and felt like people just thought, oh, that's that's a nice idea, that's a nice thought. But to our, our very first point here in, in Culture Corner with the, the video meetings, this is the easiest, uh, most accessible way to get a big name speaker into your youth ministry, into your church, into your camp setting. Maybe, maybe it's not even a big name speaker, just somebody you wish could come speak in your setting, but you can't pay for their flight from Australia or from Africa or from Asia. 
Um, but you can set up the time so that you could um, live stream them in. Now there's these variables that we're, we're not wanting to deal with. Like, is it going to be laggy? Um, will the video be clear? Will we be able to understand them completely? I always felt like those things were worth the risk. But I'm hoping this pushes us in church culture and ministry culture, leadership culture, business, whatever, into this imagination around, I can get anybody I want to to come speak to my local group because everybody is now interacting in this digital dialect of, of video conferencing. Um, so like, go for it. It doesn't hurt to ask. And I think it's, it's providing a proof of concept because I feel like a lot of people for conferences, for events are like, well, it's not nearly as good as in person. Um, but we now have the proof of concept through having to do it that you can make it work. Um, and so it's yeah. going to, I think, also open up for those who want to be able to go places um, to be able to to be able to say like, hey, or want to be able to speak in events to be able to say like, hey, you know that we can do this. You don't have to bring me there. I can record something. I can do it live. Uh, so I think it'll for those in in ministry and in leadership open up some some new avenues for being able to to speak in the conversations without having to, you know, pay for flights, which are bad for the environment anyway. I It's been interesting to me that the college students I interact with and hang out with, like they're really hating the shift from, you know, online in-person class to having to do everything remotely and online. Um, and so I noticed some of them getting a little bit of screen fatigue um, or Zoom fatigue, some things like that. So I think that's that's interesting um, to me because whereas I'm I'm kind of loving sometimes like not having to make a drive, you know, thirty minutes to campus or thirty minutes to a church or here and there to do some things. Um, this makes it really much easier to accomplish, like you said, get some good things done without some of the difficulty and cost of travel time-wise as well as financially. But anyway, that's been interesting to me that a lot of college students I hang out with are not loving the shift to online. Now that's probably, that's a little bit for a different reason. That's mainly because professors who have designed the course to be taught in person have a hard time translating it effectively into an online setting. Um, mm. That might be the best, the bigger factor there, but... I struggle to get them to connect and do some of our campus ministry things on Zoom or online because I think they're just overwhelmed with everything they have to do for class online right now. And it's it's just like, okay, I don't want to use my computer for that right now. Yeah, so trying to find the balance of something that's meaningful um, to be able to connect with them without overdo. I mean... I think we all kind of feel that to a degree. And for those of us who are a little bit older, we don't have classes uh, yeah. to add to that. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Are you guys finding that the, the young adults are in community with, they're, um, they're continuing like the, the bare essential relationships that they need to sustain life, but they're really not adding a whole bunch more onto that right now. Like they're staying close to the people that they need to that are close friends but to add anything extra on ministry wise or um, maybe it's, maybe it's just me and maybe it's just some of the conversations that I have. And I'm wondering if that's your experience in Nashville or Cincinnati, that young adults are still just going, I just can, there's a, there's, there's a lot less we can do in life right now, but I can only tend to these relationships. I'm not adding any extra things, even though there's more opportunities to connect virtually. Yeah, I think, um, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I think that that makes sense where I've seen a lot of um, increased interaction or um, avenues of interaction through things like Instagram. So like um, one of my favorite parts of Instagram are Instagram stories, um, which Kenny, I don't know if you are familiar with them. Um, just kidding. <laughs> you are a boss at them. Um, I think um, that I'm seeing a lot of people uh, do stuff on there with questions and um, with with creative use of stories there. But in terms of actual interactions, in terms of um, uh, FaceTime calls, any any kind of um, live interactions over technology, I do think it... Um, I would say, yeah, probably across the board um, for most people, especially those who use technology a lot, that it's limited to a certain number of people, partly because it's like... Well, I'll talk from my experience. Like, you know... 
there's only so many times that I can talk about the same things. Um, and I'm not doing like, I mean, we're doing stuff, but like, it's a lot different than like catching up, you know, walking into a coffee shop on a Thursday evening. Uh, like we don't have as much to catch up on cause it's like Netflix school, uh, whipped coffee. And I, I learned how to bake bread. Like it's like, there's like, there's not as much to talk about, but I do think, uh, kind of like what Chris said, kind of just the fatigue of, um, like screen time in terms of, uh, live interactions is it's getting old at this point. <laughs> I don't feel that with you guys though. Like I, I could do with some more screen time with, with both of your faces. I, I would just say like, I, I would, I would probably zoom with you guys every single day. If, if I didn't think it would somehow fracture our relationship. <laughs> Let me just assure you that the feeling is possibly mutual. Wow. We could Marco Polo a whole lot more, Chris. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's that? You know you want to. Yeah, I, th- I think there is a bit of, you know, people are in crisis mode. And so they get into kind of fetal position in some ways and just sort of conserve resources and... Let's just weather the storm and kind of get through this. Now, depending on how long some of these, you know, adaptations last that we've made, um, it'll be interesting to see if, yeah, are we able to launch new things? Are we able to start a new group of, you know, a new connection or, um, you know, do things and not just maintain current things? Uh, That'll be interesting to see. Um, but I, I really do like the point and I think it was this article. I read two different articles. Now I'm getting them mixed up in my head, but, um, but basically that Gen Z is very, um, you know, purpose oriented, mission oriented, wanting to make a difference, um, and valuing that over, over profit or, or even positional, you know, stuff. Um, but then I think it must have been another article that was kind of contrasting with, you know, some of us older types of Gen X or even a boomer who might have this kind of this idea of, no, you start at the bottom and you work your way up and you do the work that no one else wants to do and you earn your, you know, you don't just start with a four day work week. You got to earn that. You got to earn the right to work from home and all, <laughs> you know. And it must have been a different article that was kind of contrasting those. Um, and I was having to, you know, think, you know, sometimes I do have a little bit of that dad-like uh, mentality that you got to earn your dues, you got to earn the right to experience life this way. But, um, but it is interesting that you know this situation could help shift, you know, towards. Some of those new paradigms, I think, be more quickly than it would have happened so, otherwise. Okay, that just kind of tripped a thought for me of, you know, how millennials. And that's why and, youth pastors shouldn't do young adult ministry. Oh, you try? Okay, I have a thought to continue here before we segue man, into the content of the book. No, that that transition was too good. We just have to keep on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you guys hear me? Are, are, is my mind? Let me. You're acting oh, like. Oh, is Kenny talking? Oh my goodness. Oh, he's on the call? I'm hmm. gonna lose my I'm gonna totally lose my train of thought. Ooh. Guys. Maybe that I don't want to talk to you every day. Get that train on track, man. Back on the rail here. Okay. Millennials getting bad uh bad rap, bad reputation for um being entitled. Um do you think it do you think that, that could stem some from this old school kind of upperclassman thinking, which I see millennials exhibit as well? in high school settings. I, I'm a senior. You can't do that because you're a freshman type thing. I've seen that. I see it with male and female happening that way. Like that. I hate that about high school. But do you think that that's somehow that upperclassman type mentality could be applied to the, to the, the work environment where it's like, okay, yeah, it would be great to have a four-day work week. Yeah, it would be great to have more flexibility. But you don't get to ask for those things until you've earned your stripes. Like, we all want to get there, but you need to suffer for a while before you get there. So just hold your horses. And so may, maybe there's a way to meet in the middle between, yeah, you really do need to earn that credibility in order to be able to ask for those things. But there's also this false kind of ceiling that's put over the top 
of, of people that are really asking for realistic things. They just don't have the experience yet that somebody that might be their manager or their boss would look at and say, you haven't earned the right to ask that. Don't get to work. Get back in your cubby. Yeah, I think, um, I think part of it is because over the last, um, I don't know, decade, um, maybe a little bit longer, um, we've made a transition to where like in order to be in leadership, in order to get those things you, you like in order to get up the ladder, it came through time, effort and earned experience. Um, and we now live in a world where you can, um, achieve, um, for lack of a better term, a higher level up the ladder without putting in the time because it doesn't need to come through knowledge from earned experience. Um, you can, you can learn and make technological advances or build the app or build the website or use technology in certain ways to kind of like springboard you. Um, and I think that's part of it is that it's, you actually can't, maybe this is because I'm a millennial, maybe this is, uh, where the disconnect is, um, for us painting with a large stroke uh, brush here is that um, we think we can jump up the ladder, not through lack of effort, but through the lack of time, like not needing as much time to make that. Um, and I think maybe now we're seeing um, even, we'll see even more of a transition to, yeah, you can make um, steps into leadership without the same amount of time invested because technology is kind of shorting, sh- shortening the amount of time it requires to be in positions of leadership, if that makes sense. I'm a verbal processor. So as I'm, yeah. as I'm saying that I was trying, like, I think technology has been moving the, moving the reality away from, you can only earn leadership through time and say, if you give a lot of effort, you can actually earn positions of leadership quicker. At least that's, I would say um, for me and my friends, that's a mentality that we have. It's like, not that you want to work less, um, it's that you, you can work harder and your work can be multiplied through technological advances. Hmm. Well, I, 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 think, I think too that... I'll let you go, Chris. All it's right. unfortunate that first. we're... Yeah, as humans, we're a bit competitive. And, and so the, I think it's just a human nature kind of thing to want to require someone else to have to do the same work or not have an easier road to success or whatever. Um, But you would think if we could begin to sort of evolve as a species and say, you know what, human flourishing is the goal here. So, um, so let's, let's not just force everyone to learn and walk to school like we did and whatever. Um, But let's make some room for some of these, you know, ways to, to pivot or skip. Um, I think one of the things that adds to it as well is that you can know anything that you want to know right now. You can, you can go find it. Um, that's, that's part of the tension, I think, with, with higher education between online learning and, and learning in the classroom. I think the, the, the big variable and difference is having those guides, having those teachers, those mentors, those pastors, those whoever they are that help you apply the things that you're learning. Um, to take that knowledge and apply it as wisdom because what you, what, what you can't, what you can't rush is experience. You can know stuff. You can know how it should go. You can know about other people's experiences, but until, until you've actually put in the time, you don't have the experience that comes with the knowledge and with, with the insights. And so I don't think that that's something that should hold people back, but I think the experience is something that cannot be replaced. And the only thing that, where experience can happen is through the, through the passing of time. You can't rush, you can't rush that. So maybe that's a part of that equation too, of, of both coming from an older generation and younger generations and and a a place to meet in the middle with the experience. As the eldest, I would affirm that. um, But having just read Faith for Exiles by David Kinnaman and Mark uh, Matlock, in one uh, they, day, nonetheless, we yeah, don't watch the experience. They make a point about reciprocal mentoring, you know, which happens. So oh, in, young, yeah. in young adult ministry, I think, you know, helping to be that guide and provide wisdom, but also being willing to learn and to receive some reciprocal mentoring. And I think that's one of the keys to the intergenerational relationships that need to exist with young adults in the church. 
which is what we are doing right now. Hmm. Thank you, Jeremy, for being our guide. <laughs> Jeremy's being an adult. Exactly. I couldn't help but think that um, as you were talking there, Kenny, a minute ago, I was saying that like you can have the knowledge, but you you need to have experience to a certain degree. It sounded like a whole great clip to explain why we work uh, will end up failing. Is that you can have a great idea, but without the experience to actually be able to lead, like lead, you can just give people a bunch of free leases and buy a bunch of property, and then um, all your venture funding will will go away. But oh man, um, that's a topic for a different day. Um, you just crushed I, a whole lot of entrepreneurs' dreams. Yeah, I though it, it um, for more remote working, maybe the idea of things like we work or co working spaces. I I'd, I'll be interested to see if they jump in terms of use um, in the coming years. Um, that's just a, a side thought with that. But I think, uh, Chris, your comment about reciprocal mentoring, um, and that, um, idea in terms of young adult ministry, I think, um, that one, that phrase is really good. And also, I think that's a good, maybe a good transition into our conversation from the book that we're going through right now, sustainable young adult ministry, making it work, making it last, Again, not yet a sponsor of this podcast, but a really great book from uh, Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier with, uh, with the Praxis Group. Yeah. Cool. So we, we last time we got into chapter four, I think, talking a little bit about why or why not. You were getting us there. Why or why not um, let the youth pastor run with college and young adult ministry responsibilities? Um, and it'll kind of dovetail into chapter five to the uh, the next mistake that we talk about. But um, but I can't remember exactly where we got in in sort of this critique of of whether or not the youth pastor should be the one to help the young oh, adult you, ministry. You had just started talking about it. We I mean we were trying to cover three chapters last time. It was a bit much. So we're just looking at four and five right now. Yeah. And I think what we what we were just talking about actually pushes us this direction too, because it's the it's it's this idea in chapter four or uh, wait, this mistake number four. Let me look at chapter. Sorry. Well, you just for for those of you who are following along online or listening to this, um, where we are in terms of discussing this book in the context of young adult ministry right now is um, the first several chapters of the book are talking about seven different mistakes that churches make when trying to start young adult ministry um, or to to revamp it. And so we. Um, as we're talking about these different mistakes there, um, the first part of the book is looking at mistakes. And then uh, the second half of the book looks to to pivot and then provide um, way, a way forward to be able to be engaged in young adult ministry. So just that yeah, is context. Picture. So, okay. Chapter four is mistake number three, expect the youth director to do it. And when we were, we were just talking about how, um, you can be younger and you can have knowledge, you can have great ideas and you can be ready to lead. Um, but you don't have that experience yet. And I think that's one of the mistakes that happens here with youth pastors. And they talk about this in chapter four of the book. Of It's like, would you go to, would you go to a first grader and ask him to lead preschoolers? Would you go to a middle, uh, a middle schooler and ask him to be in, in, in charge of the, the third and fourth graders? Well, maybe. In some churches that happens. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> um, would you go to a high schooler and ask them to be the, the youth pastor for, for the, the middle? You know, so it's like, if you go to a youth pastor and they're, you know, in their mid twenties, and now you know they're they're just a few years older than high school students or um, even the college students that they're leading. Maybe they just graduated from college. They become the youth pastor. They've been there one year. They're the 22, 23, 24 years old, and now the church comes to them and says, "Will you lead the eighteen through thirty year olds?" They don't. They're still in the midst of being young adults themselves. Can it happen and can it work? I think so. And I'm actually an advocate as a volunteer of of helping to equip young adults to lead other young adults instead of trying to create things for them, which is the next chapter. Um, but when we go to the youth pastor, that's already probably underpaid, let's just say they're underpaid and they're overworked and people don't understand what they do anyway, because it's mostly relational. So it's hard to quantify and then say, Hey, we, we need to do something with young adults. Can you make something happen, please? It's a recipe for it not going great. So that's kind of the, random rambling of Kenny into the introduction of this chapter. And I would say if we don't want young adult ministry to look like youth group 2.0, I mean, this, this would be a key, 
um, pitfall to avoid is basically because a youth pastor is is going to approach you know college and young adult ministry in a very programmatic age based sort of way. Which again, that's next chapter. We'll talk a little bit more about why that might be the wrong way to talk about it. But um, yeah, I think the the book makes the point about they have limited time, you know, to focus on this other, whole other area of ministry, um, and it could just create the second wave of youth groupness. And then I can't remember was there one more. Well, here's a quote. Here's a quote that I really liked. Making young adults another side plate for a youth director to spin is a rapid route to ensure high frustration and little reward, which reminded me of kind of a, um, uh, I'm just going to say crass, but not too crass. Like, I don't think I'm going to be censored for this, probably. Um, I mean, we are alive. But I had this conversation with a guy that I just met in, in Detroit. And we were going to have uh, some shakes with uh, like um, like strawberry shake, chocolate shakes at this restaurant. And he's like, I really like chocolate shakes, but strawberry shakes are my side dish. I mean, chocolate shakes are my bae, but strawberries. And I was like, first time I'm hearing this language, just quite a few years ago. Like, what is he talking about? It's a cultural experience for me. And, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a slang experience for me. When we go to the, the, the youth pastor who's already got their bay, the youth ministry, and we ask them to take on their side dish of young adults, um, relationships are going to crash and burn. It's not going to go great. We're trying to make a short-term fix instead of a long-term investment. Um, And those relationships need dedicated relationship and attention, both for the youth ministry and a young adult ministry, to have the long-term relational um, return on an investment. See, I, I told that, that could have gone a lot of different directions, but I got there, guys. I was not sure where the milkshake analogy was going, but that was that was a, a good a good way to segue into that conversation. All I, I, now, all I know is now I want one. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, which, completely unrelated, but the, uh, the frosted coffees at Chick-fil-A are very good. Um, not a sponsor, but could be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Free chicken sandwiches. Not today. It's Sunday, so not today. Sure. But yep. Maybe since they're not stores they're not that are open, Jeremy. Let's talk about <laughs> places we can really get a side dish of milkshake. <laughs> okay. okay. That's just move on. I, th- I, I think the point about um, having a long-term sustainable approach. Okay, use some of the words in the title there, but um, is I think an important uh, piece to the. Uh, throughout the entire book, but especially these first couple chapters in the beginning of saying that a lot of these mistakes, um, it's, it's not the intent, um, but it's that most of them are short-term fixes, like what you said, Kenny, um, and that when you don't uh, make the deep um, investment uh, for long-term, that's where these become mistakes. So yeah, a, a youth pastor will, you know, is hopefully doing great at youth ministry, um, but they're working towards a different uh, group of uh, young people, and they're already doing that. And so, then trying to add something on um, to anybody's plate is is overwhelming. But also, I think one of the points that is made in this chapter that also kind of transitions into the to the next uh, chapter as well um, is saying that this approach sets the stage for young adults to be isolated from church life, where if you just take yeah. what works with, with, with youth ministry, copy paste into young adult ministry, um, that it's creating just another separate, um, ecosystem within, within church life. where not that there shouldn't be age appropriate activities, um, and, uh, relationships being built, but at what point do you, uh, invite young people into the life of the entire church, um, Rather than it just seeming like uh, the sanctuary, like going into the sanctuary and the Sunday morning service is what you do when you're actually a real adult, or in the world each week, and it's contextualized, and it doesn't yeah. look the same. Like you, one of the things they say in this chapter too is this: this is pioneer work. And I don't know, you know, the different things that come to mind for each of us when we hear the word pioneer, but. They go out in the wilderness in places that people haven't traveled before, 
and they're at risk and in danger and they're foraging for food and they make new relationships and figure out new ways to do um, some old things maybe. And they discover some new things along, along the way. Um, but they, they learn, they learn how to do what's needed for the place and the time that they're in. And that's always shifting. I mean, we're moving forward in time. We can't go back. So that's always shifting and changing regardless of Corona. Um, and this thing that's been thrust upon the world. Um, we, one of the ways I've been thinking about how to share this with church pastors and leaders and church boards is, is to think about young adults as, as like, um, this investment, uh, like you would with your stock portfolio. Um, and that you're going to make a long, you're going to invest a little bit right now to make a long-term investment. And, and but you're not going to reap the dividends to that of that until way down the road, uh, holistically. And so if you expect to get, this isn't day trading. This isn't, we're going to turn around the profit in a short period of time. You know, um, why are you guys laughing at me? I mean, I, you just sound like Warren Buffett. I mean, this is good. Keep going. <laughs> wow. I've never been accused of that. And I'm sorry, Warren Buffett. He could totally be a sponsor. Call right now. Long-term investments. Long-term returns. Think about that way. Think of it as your retirement. Young adults are the retirement of the church. Like invest in them now so that when you turn 50, Levites, you can turn the reins over to them and be coaches and mentors. And you guys said reciprocal mentoring. Reciprocal mentoring was the phrase that Chris said. Yeah. For everybody else like me that's going to struggle saying that because my tongue does something it's unaccustomed to when I try to say reciprocal um, mutual mutual mentoring. My mentor taught me reverse mentoring. So when when those mentors in my life have said to me, you know, you're 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 mentoring me right now, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that that does not compute. Um, but then I realized, oh, I've got to, if I'm going to be the disciple Christ wants me to be, I need to be mentoring and discipling, and I need to be mentored and discipled. And I'm responsible for setting up those relationships in my life and being intentional about it. But I wait for it to happen on its own. It's not going to. Same thing with young adult ministries in our churches. Very few of these are going to happen on their own. You have to have the champion. You have to have the advocate. And you have to have that long-term perspective um, for that return way down the road that it's investment relationally right now. Both digitally and proximity as we slowly begin to open up our relational doors. So I'd, I'd like to go ahead and push this into the next chapter because Please. to me, in some ways, approaching college young adult ministry from a youth ministry mindset or with the youth pastor in mind as the one to lead it is kind of dovetails with this idea of just treating it as an age-based program within the church. And I I like one of the questions that comes out in this next chapter. What are the long-term effects to segregated ministry and programming? Um, And I think that's a great question for, you know, for some pastoral staff meetings, you know, and for people to consider what are the long-term effects of age-based segregated ministry and programming in the church and where... There's certainly areas where that works and that fits, but what are the limitations to that? And at what point do you try to start integrating rather than segregating? And certainly college-age ministry for me is, I feel like you should probably start doing it even in you know high school ministry and some um, you know family ministry philosophies would you know go along with that. But um, but anyway, what what were your guys' thoughts on some of this, like the limitations of looking at this as a program in the church, or just starting a program? That's the mistake they identify: is that if you think you're just gonna throw some free pizza at young adults after church on Sunday and pull them for what they want out of a ministry, and then try to create something based on their responses, and you end up with a young adult ministry program that lasts for a few months um, and then kind of fizzles, that is a summary of the mistake I think they are talking about in this chapter. Yeah, well, there's there's this uh, 
the list of the chapter of these four things that, that young adults are looking for, they specifically talk about millennials. Were you going to talk about this, Jeremy? I, I literally have it written down in my notes oh, to bring ahead. this up. So this, no, 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 no you go ahead. No, you tell me well, what I, millennials. A, um, yeah, let me tell you about you millennials, Jeremy. Thank you for being here. Um, community, social justice, depth, and mentorship. So if I create a program, Xer, it's going to be great for young adults. And I haven't asked them or involved them or see, I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm in control. It's not me journeying alongside. It's not me having community with them, practicing social justice, having depth or a, or a reciprocal reverse mentoring relationship. It's not me. It's not me practicing these things that are important and values. It's me trying to put something on so that I can be successful in my pastoral ministry and in my church and say that we've done something for young adults. And it, it, it completely misses the goal, um, but it's where I default to like all the time in my thinking and in my practice in, in, in ministry. And so what I'm having to rewire and rework is that temptation to try to create things for to get people to come to instead of asking questions, seeking out relationship and saying, what, what do you want to do with this? And, and how can I help equip? Um, as a part of our church to to help accomplish those things because they might have a different list of four than community social justice step and mentoring mentoring so that's some of my thoughts jeremy yeah i think um kind of taking this conversation with another one that we've um, been having with people um, on my church's staff and with other church leaders across um, mainly the U S right now is this, like, what's next, what's the church going to look like once we start gathering together? Um, not for the purpose of moving ahead, uh, to not being involved in the now, but saying, okay, if, if church is going to look a little bit different in the coming months, when we gather together, what do we need to be doing now to help move into that? Uh, so like a simple ver- uh, example of that would be, um, like, I'm not going to want to shake people's hands for a while personally. Like, I'm not like personally afraid, but like, um, yeah, for me, like until we have like more of a, um, in terms of, uh, medicine or vaccine, like I'm going to feel nervous and guilty anytime I'm going around and shaking people's hands. So then how do we transition to having a meaningful passing of the peace without physical, yeah, with, with limited physical contact, that being an example. Um, and within that exactly namaste, um, which is a little hard for me to do with my, my injured bent hand right now. Um, <laughs> Um, so uh, something that I've heard in those conversations, um, related specifically to this, (laughs) to this present, uh, time with COVID-19 is, um, that we need to be focusing now and in the coming months about engagement over attendance. And I think that ties in really well with Mm. young adult ministry across the board, um, whether or not we're in a pandemic, that instead of focusing on just getting people to show up in attendance, um, that we need to be looking for engagement. And the four things that you listed off from the book, Kenny, of community, social justice, depth, and mentorship, I think all of those um, speak to the idea of engagement, um, that being involved in the process, being involved in the leadership of things and speaking into them, um, which is why just creating a program and hoping for people to show up very often just falls flat, um, not again from lack of good intentions, um, and not from a lack of quality. Uh, like you can you can put together a quality program um, in terms of like the components, but if it's not inviting young adults into an engagement, then um, I think the 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 shelf life of it uh, tends to be. Uh, rather short. And I know for both of you guys in your different contexts from our conversations, and I know for mine, that some of the most meaningful ministry opportunities we have are the ones that are often smaller in quantity of people, um, but deeper in terms of relationship and higher in terms of engagement. And that makes sense. You know, you can only engage so many people well, um, until numbers start to to take that away, we see that you know across the board in churches and organizations. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. You know, I look back on the the time. You know, at my current church, um, I basically became kind of like a part time young adult pastor there back in 2012, 
13, 14, almost two years trying to do this, and did this exact thing where we met with young adults after church, Sunday, pizza, you know, basically pulled them on what, you know, kind of stuff they wanted to be in a college young adult ministry. Um, but then, yeah, as the as the Gen Xer who wanted a successful program, I basically took their responses and then, you know, read between the lines because I knew what they really needed, you know, in spite of what they said. Um, although even when we ask young adults, I think, what they want out of a ministry, in some ways we're asking them the wrong question and we're asking a leading question because they already assume a program um, you know, based on that question. So, you know, anyway, I, all this to say, if I had it to do over again, I would have taken the first six months of being in that role and done nothing but hang out with young adults and spend time with them, have meals with them and coffee and things like that. That's good. Get enough relational equity. We may have ended up with the same kind of gathering or program, so to speak, you know, six to 12 months later. But if I had built the relationship and you know, showed them how much I care before they could care, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, t- I totally feel it. the engagement piece and a lot of one-on-one and small conversations and regardless of their attendance at events, but if there was overall engagement, I think that would have been a much healthier road to success, so to speak, in ministry. Um, I think that's I, a good point of this. Go ahead, Jer. I was going to say, I think that's a good point of um, ask, like, what kind of questions we ask, are they leading? Because if you've only grown up in a youth ministry, that's your context. So I was going to ask for the for the two of you, um, having um, a little bit more experience than I do um, in terms of youth and young adult, um, youth ministry and young adult ministry, like, what are better questions to be asking? Not necessarily saying that a survey or any of that, but like, um, in the, going into those um relationships and those one-on-one conversations like what are the the questions that you think we should have in the back of our heads that we're seeking to find the answers of whether or not we actually voice them what should we be looking um, for the answers to as kind of um, uh, mile markers to figuring out how we engage in young adult ministry in our churches I think uh, my experience has been it's not so much about questions like I've come up with questions and people will respond and, and answer to questions one-on-one. That's a big key, is the one-on-one, not the group. Um, but it, it's, it, it's me trying to be a better listener to the conversations that I'm having one-on-one with the young adults that are both the younger young adults and the older young adults, the ones that are in the college kind of four-year traditional phase and the ones that are out beyond that age-wise um, and are processing you know, life and career and grad school and relationships different than they were, but they're still young adults. Um, and in that listening, what we discovered and coming back to that list of, of four things there, the one that really pops out to me, um, it's not the social justice. Uh, it's uh, community is, is, is probably the one I need to go back and look at it because I just have it here. Community is one social justice. Yeah. Depth. Yeah. Mentorship. The mentorship, I think, is going to come in time. The community in depth is what I was hearing. But what they were looking for, and, and a lot of the young adults that are part of our church, both the you know, 18 to 21, 22, and then the 22 and older, the emerging adults, we call them, they're looking to connect with their peers in their worship setting. Like they've got activities to do. They don't need more activities. They've got... They've got ways that they're contributing both through the church in volunteering. They've got ways that they're volunteering and, con- and contributing to social justice things in their community. Not all of them, but for the most part, the ones that I'm talking with and listening to. And they're looking for the church to be this. Um, they want to, there's not a natural place in the church for them to connect with their peers because people had tried to run programs and the programs failed. And so they weren't running any programs because nothing that they did for young adults worked, but there wasn't a way to network the young adults within our church together so that they could have share life and community and faith together. And so this, at the end of the chapter here it says young adults send mixed signals to older generations about what they really want and need for a good reason. They need both. For them, it's not an either-or choice between a place to be connected to an intergenerational community or a place to be with peers. 
it's a both and experience. So as I was listening to our older young adults and to our younger young adults, I was hearing them say they wanted a place to connect. So how do we facilitate that without turning it into a program um, is, is kind of the dance that we're living in, 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 in the tension of. And then my, my hope and my goal, and I've just been very clear with them in this, is, is this, that I want to be your cheerleader. Like, how do I help you accomplish that? And let's try some stuff together. Because they can't, and this is going to come, I think, in the next chapter, or the next two, but you can't just expect them to lead it. They're, they're not at a place to do that yet as young adults and volunteers. Um, and it's not going to happen on its own. You need that in-between advocate person. And so in this both and experience, I become the and. I'm the and in my church that's, that's with the young adults and with the greater church body, volunteering, doing different things. But I'm also listening to young adults and what they're talking about while at the same time trying not. My goal is to not create a program for young adults. Um, because as soon as we do, let's say we created a, an amazing young adult program and we have amazing young adult leaders. And then they get engaged and then they get married and then they have kids and then they move or they just graduate from college or grad school or their internship or their practicum and they move. So if we embrace instead this both and experience of relationship and transition, it's we need another a conjunction in here because there's more than just a one or two things happening. Um, there needs to be this advocate in the midst that's helping young adults navigate the local church setting while journeying in life together while, while listening to what do they really hope and, and long for from the church body? What are they, what are they, um, what are they looking for? Um, what's that, that engagement piece there? That was a long, I put a lot in there from a lot of different standpoints and it was hard to follow. And now I will pause. No, I think, I think, I think that was really good. I, oh, I think wow. the thing that stood out to me there was saying that for, for young adult, uh, for young adult ministry, leaders in young adult ministry are to be advocates to connect young adults into engaging in the life of the church. Like that's, that was, that was beautifully worded, Kenny. Pretty sure you worded that way. And thank you for that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting at the end of the chapter, I mean, they go on to say, you know, it's not wrong to have something that looks or smells like a young adult ministry, you know, program. Um, but they basically say if if programming for young adults is your starting point, it's, it's probably going to fall short uh, or not have sustainability and long-term of effect and so i do think you're right it is this balancing of creating facilitating the peer connections while also being strategic about integrating them into the life of the church building relationships with others um, um and that is a trick i mean that that's why young adult ministry is so hard because that is a tricky proposition well, and I think that's the importance of the one-on-one -on -one conversation and relationship and invitation is that it's, it's not a program we create and then mass recruit people to do things within our church body. And I think that's part of it too is, oh, here's the return on investment. We're going to get more volunteers in the children's ministry or behind the scenes for you know, worship and arts production uh, or at our volunteer, you know, Rake the Neighbor's Yard Day. Um, just ask the young adults to do it, kind of like people default to with the uh, youth ministry sometimes. Um, but it's that finding out what's that heart cry and desire for the young adult that's in, in the midst and then networking those, um, those young adults together. The young adults are the program. It's not a program for young adults. The relationships with the young adults in this that's day, good. in this season are the young adult program for our church today. And it's going to change. Yeah, that probably, I keep coming back to, that's the biggest takeaway for me with the whole book. If you look at the book as a whole, sustainable young adult ministry, 
is is to not think so much about ministry for young adults, but ministry with young adults. And so helping, you know, if you're doing ministry with and alongside of young adults, it's naturally going to have this feel of, oh, here's here's some times and places and ways in which young adults are hanging out together. But it's also going to have this feel of, you know, we're doing ministry, we're engaged in the life of the church and not just having our little, you know, 20-something club. I mean, you gave a great parting thought there. Yeah, but Jeremy, do you want to give any any concluding any concluding thoughts? I think, um, yeah, I think both for this conversation and continuing uh, what what you just said, Chris, was right. Like we need to be focused with over four. We need to be focused on engagement yeah. over attendance. I like it. The engagement piece is a real takeaway for me today from the conversation of just being reminded of that and, and what, what are the opportunities there? Um, yeah. So you guys ready for the outro? This is, we wrote this pre Corona, but it applies so well. <laughs> we actually do have show notes, people. Hey, hey. The people need to know. You guys ready? This is the blessing that we leave on everyone in, in the name of Christ and relational sustainable young adult, you will write relational, sustainable young adult ministry. Okay. Then it won't be copyright infringement. Are you guys ready? Yep. And so until next time, fail forward, be present and be teachable, be flexible and try something new. See that works in Corona. I just love it. (laughs) All right, guys. Good, Good talking with you. Thanks. Yep. So yeah. See ya.